working for the United Nations is an incredible privilege, uh, and uh, and and it is a it's a badge of honor to be a part of the UN, and and it comes with a a set of values. So I think you. You join the UN in whatever capacity, whether you're a peacekeeper or a, a development coordinator like me or a humanitarian, um, you, you join the UN with a, a passion for what it represents. The Hi and welcome to the podcast Making an Impact. This is the podcast where all aspects of working in the global impact sector are discussed. My name is Helen Rask and I will be the host in this podcast. In this episode, we will meet Mr. Robert Piper, who is the Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations Development Coordination Office in New York. Mr. Piper will let us know what the role of the UN Development Coordination Office is, the background to the talent roster that now are being launched, and what kind of profiles he is looking for. So, let's get started. Today I'm very happy and honored to have the Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations Development Coordination Office in New York, Mr. Robert Piper. Mr. Piper, welcome to the podcast, Making an Impact. Thanks, Helen. You're welcome. Uh, maybe we could start by talking a bit about you. Uh, could you explain a bit uh, about yourself? Well, um, I'm uh, a long long-term uh, UN person. I've been uh, almost 30 years with the United Nations by now. I've served uh, mostly in the field, uh, in all of the main uh, regions, pretty much. Uh, I've served in Asia, I've served in the Pacific, I've served in Africa, I've served in the Middle East, and I've I've served in uh, in uh, Eastern Europe uh, over my time, both in development and, and, and humanitarian roles, and very much uh, uh, focused on the field and uh, and making sure that we really perform uh, where it matters on the ground. What brought you into the field of humanitarian development coordination from the beginning? Well, I, yeah, I, I started, uh, I finished university with a, a political science degree, but I was also very passionate about the outside world and, uh, and felt very strongly about the importance of international cooperation and about uh, looking at, at the extraordinary kind of injustices and inequalities that we are confronted with when we look around the world 30 years ago and unfortunately still today. And that brought me into the world of aid and I became uh, initially working, I started working with the Australian aid agency in the Australian government. And then an opportunity came up to to do that work, but under the auspices of the United Nations rather than a particular government. That was very exciting and an offer I, I, I couldn't refuse. So I, I, I followed that. I followed that line and I've obviously never looked back 30 years later. What interests me as on the development and humanitarian side, so looking both at emergencies and looking at the long-term uh, kind of growth of economies and the building of, of effective governments, is that we do, and I keep getting involved in, in emergencies, whether they're natural disasters or, or conflicts in different parts of the world, but almost in every single case, there is either a, a, some kind of development failure that has created this emergency in the first place, or at least missed opportunities to use development investments to reduce the suffering that follows from some of these crises. So for me, the humanitarian and the development are really linked at the hip. 
if you're going to uh, protect your development gains, you have to think about the risks that are always out there to the progress that you've made. And if you're in an emergency, you've got to remind yourself that the quicker we can get back to long-term development, the better. And it's not going to be a sustained uh, improvement and progress unless you make sure that at the same time uh, that you're responding to that emergency, you're fixing some of the structural problems that maybe brought us here in the first place. Now you are in New York with the uh, Development Coordination Office. That's right, yeah. That's my new role since January. And uh, how has that role of the DCO changed due to the UN Development System Reform? Well, we're in the middle of really the most uh, extraordinary transformation for the UN Development System. This is a, a big network of organizations. The UN Development System represents about 100,000 people working for the United Nations around the world. We serve about 165 countries and territories um, as development workers, and uh, it's a, a big $17 billion development uh, operation. That enormous army, if you will, of development workers are, are, are all over the globe uh, in many different offices, representing many different parts of the UN development system, whether it's the World Health Organization, whether it's UNICEF for children, whether it's the UN, uh, UN Women or the UN Development Program. So we are everywhere. We are very numerous and we represent a whole series of about 40 different institutions that make up the family of the United Nations development system. These reforms are about trying to pull together that team, that family of organizations to make sure that we are really focused as a group uh, on, a, on a single target, which is, of course, 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals, and that that happens very successfully on the ground, in the field, uh, where, of course, it matters. So my, these reforms are about really um, transforming the UN development system, that scattered, if you will, federal system of, of organizations, and bringing it really together as a coherent team focusing that team on the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. And the office that I am now running, the Development Coordination Office, is a, an enhanced office to pull that system together, supporting the Deputy Secretary General, who is uh, at, the, at the head of this big network of people and, uh, and organisations. And my role is a new one uh, as an Assistant Secretary General that was created as part of these reforms to provide the kind of leadership necessary to, to make Make it all happen. And now you're going to launch uh, an exercise to build a pool of talent for some key positions in your 131 resident coordination offices across the countries, I've understood. That's right, because the, at the heart of this system uh, um, are 131 resident coordinators. That is the UN leader at the country level, whose job it is to represent the Secretary-General as the senior development person on the ground and to bring together that team of UN uh, agencies uh, on the ground. Each one of those 131 resident coordinators have got an office uh, to support them in doing that work. And this is, again, another part of these reforms is that we're putting in a, a professional cadre of supporters to work for those resident coordinators in their offices. We're assembling a team of at least five professionals in, in, in all of these offices. And at the moment, we're on a, a big recruitment drive to identify some especially talented people 
to fulfill two roles in particular that are very urgent. One of them is uh, a strategic planning function, that is a, a role to, to, to help us pull together plans and coordinate. And the other is, of course, uh, 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 we're looking for economists uh, that, can, that can support the resident coordinator and through that resident coordinator, the whole UN country team. And what kind of profiles with what kind of qualifications are you looking for in particular? Well, I think for, these are two different jobs, the strategic planner and the economist. Of course, what's common to them is we're in the business of development. We need profiles of people that are knowledgeable about development, uh, not just their particular you know, sort of skill set, but they're interested and passionate and knowledgeable about the developing world, uh, that they have field experience. These are senior positions. We need people who've, who've spent time in the developing world and spent time out of their own uh, sort of country, uh, if they are from the developing world themselves, but that they have some international experience to, to, to apply. But we need planners uh, uh, and we need economists. But we need, above all, I think, uh, uh, across the board, uh, people with an appreciation, firstly, with a curiosity and an appreciation of the sheer complexity of the development effort. And, and I say that because in our, in our role, we are about pulling together the system. The UN is an extraordinary spread of, of agencies and expertise. We have it. We have experts on every possible subject you could imagine. We, we, our role in the resident coordinator's office at the country level is not to substitute for that expertise, is not to try and be the, the leading expert on all those issues. It's to look across the system and bring that uh, system uh, together. So to do that well, you need a, a, a kind of good understanding of what's out there. Um, you need a, but above all, you need a curiosity and an appreciation uh, uh, that for every complex development problem, uh, it probably requires a multi-sectoral uh, answer, uh, not a sort of one-dimensional, but a multi-dimensional one. And you need to be able to look across that UN system and, and, and realize just how much we have to offer across that breadth of expertise. So I think that intellectual curiosity, uh, that field experience and that development uh, uh, focus are probably the three key qualities that either both economists and strategic planners will need to bring to this job. And how flexible will you be when it comes to time between appointment and actually deployment? Because I think there is a time uh, frame there that you are specific about. That's true. We're in a hurry uh, because uh, we are all focused on 2030 and the uh, sustainable development goals. That's only 11 years away. We've been uh, these reforms began on the 1st of January. We have very little time to reach 2030, and we have very little time to demonstrate to our member states at the United Nations that the reforms that they have introduced uh, into our development community um, are going to make an enormous difference to how we support governments on their road to. 2030. So we are in a hurry. Uh, we we are in a big hurry. We are uh, hoping and expecting even that candidates that are selected for this roster, if they are um, invited to come and serve in one of these offices, that within two months uh, at most they're ready to get on a plane. We, we, we're, we're not in a position to wait for months and months for someone to extract themselves from whatever they might be doing or, or worse, to uh, uh, plan a holiday, etc. But then... Uh would it be suitable for candidates with families and will their families in that case be able to relocate with them in case they are selected? 
considering the fact that you have that short period of time from appointment to deployment and people may have uh, children in schools and so forth. Sure. Well, I'm 30 years in the UN system. I'm, I've uh, got four children. I'm about uh, two weeks away from becoming a grandfather, in fact, for the first time. So, uh, Congratulations. Not, thank you. It's not impossible to have a, a family and, uh, and, uh, and to do this kind of work, although it, uh, it depends heavily on, a, on an incredibly supportive partner that can do this with you. You're obviously very hard to do by yourself. Um, um, yes, uh, we are at 131 offices. Some of them um, are absolutely uh, suitable for families. A few of them are not. Uh, a small minority of them are what we call non-family duty stations. So obviously for some candidates, some of those options will not be possible. But we, we between 131 uh, locations, there's a fair bit of, of spread. I think some families will take time to move. And it might be, as I have had to do, Many times in my moves is uh, is uh, someone goes ahead uh, either with the f kids to, to get started on a school year or indeed to start the job while the kids uh, stay home and finish their academic year with whatever it might be. Um, so that's everyone has their own sort of uh, uh, different kind of situation, and we have to be we have to be flexible about that. So you will accommodate uh, people, candidates with families. We will accommodate, uh, of course, uh, candidates with families, and we absolutely have to. And we, we want, we also know, like any smart employer, that a, a miserable employee missing desperately their family or, or having relocated their family very abruptly when a couple of months would have made all the difference is not a happy or an effective uh, employee. So we, we, we get that, uh, of course. What would you like to emphasize to potential candidates? What are the three most important things they should know before applying, you would say? Well, I think this is not just any job. Uh, uh, you know, working for the United Nations is an incredible privilege. Uh, and, uh, and, and it is, a, I mean, uh, it's a... a it's a badge of honor to be a part of the UN, and, and it comes with a, a set of values. So I think you, you join the UN in whatever capacity, whether you're a peacekeeper or a, a development coordinator like me or a humanitarian, um, you, you join the UN with a, a passion for what it represents, the values that it represents. So I think first and foremost, uh, you know, that is the most important thing. Bring your values to this job uh, and make sure that you are aligned with the, with the ideas and values that the UN represents. Second, we need passion about Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals. This is our absolute obsession. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what wakes us up in the middle of the night. So we need, we need candidates who, who share that obsession uh, uh, and, that, uh, and that kind of, I would say, dedication to supporting member states of the UN to achieve these extraordinarily uh, ambitious goals. And third, I would say, is that to emphasize for those that have never worked in an organization like the United Nations, that we are profoundly multicultural. When you sit in a UN office, you may be surrounded by 20 different nationalities in your immediate team. 
And that has huge consequences for the way you behave. You need to be sensitive about those differences. You need to think about how your humor may or may not translate. Uh, uh, some of your attitudes may or may not translate across 20 very, very different uh, kind of cultural groups. So I think that's pretty important. It's an incredibly uplifting and motivating environment in which to work if you thrive on that. Uh, um, but if you haven't been exposed to, you know, you have to be think carefully about how to make sure you can prepare yourself for such um, a multicultural environment. I think that's really a, a, a big change for many that have been, you know, working in their civil service, say, for 10 or 20 years um, at home, doing fantastic work, um, um, and then suddenly finding themselves in such a diverse and multicultural environment, and, of course, in somebody else's country. So not only inside your office uh, are you surrounded by people with a very different, maybe, background and upbringing than yours, um, but outside the front door you're in a very different environment with its own culture and, and so forth. So we, we, I think that is pretty key in thinking about a career in the UN, whether it's for two years or, or 20 or 30 in my case, um, it's, to, it's to really think through the, the, both the, the, you know, the, the uniqueness of that working environment and to make sure you're ready for that, for that kind of challenge and that kind of excitement. Thank you so much, Mr. Piper, for this uh, very informative discussion and for participating in the podcast. Thank you, Helen. It's a pleasure, and I hope uh, we can really attract some great up-and-coming talent to join us on this adventure. There's uh, some, a lot of work to be done and uh, great opportunities for many people here. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you now have more information about the talent roster for the key positions that will be deployed to the resident coordination offices. If you would like to apply to the roster, please check out our webpage www.impactpool.org. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.